we're all familiar with the concept of groupthink, aren't we? Probably all fallen prey to it uh, from one time or another, just uh, the, the idea where there's a whole crowd of people and they're thinking something or they're doing something and you're in the crowd and you don't really think about it, but you just kind of join in. You join in what they're thinking, you join in what they're doing just because everyone else is doing it. You know, if you go to a sporting event, it happens all the time, right? They're, they do this thing called the wave, and the section co- goes around, and maybe without even thinking, you just kind of do the wave. But if you're at home watching the game just in your living room, you never li- just kind of randomly just stand up and do that, right? It's, it's groupthink. In our series, Face to Face, we've seen groupthink in every scene so far. You remember the first scene with Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, and he runs over and he climbs the tree and Jesus comes along and says, Zacchaeus, I'm staying at your house. And then what does the group say? Oh no, he's, he's, he's hanging out with sinners. That's wrong. We don't want anything to do with you, Jesus. And so the group goes away. And then the next scene, the following scene, there's the demoniac in the, in the Gentile region of the Gerasenes. And Jesus comes and he casts out the demons in this man and he allows them to go into the pigs. The pigs become suicidal. They jump off the cliff. And then the town people come out. And what do they say? They say, Jesus, get out of here. We don't want you in our town. And then last week with the blind man. And Jesus comes and he meets the blind man and he heals the blind man. And then the Jews, led by the Pharisees, they even turn the man's parents against him. And everybody say, we excommunicate you because we want to discredit Jesus. So we want nothing even to do with you. In all three of those scenes so far, what happens? It's the individual who's in the presence of Jesus. And the group say, no. The group goes into groupthink, and they say, Jesus, get out of here. You're costing us too much. We don't want anything to do with you. And so this morning in our series, we're going to look at not an individual, but the crowds, and how Jesus, when he really came face to face and really had a conversation with the crowds, and we'll see if it's any different this time. John chapter 6, we'll begin in verse 22. John chapter 6, and we'll begin in verse 22. But to set the scene for you, uh, you need to know that by this point in Jesus' ministry, rumors are just kind of running rampant about this miracle-working Messiah who's doing miraculous signs and everything. So crowds are coming, and they've come to see Jesus and to check him out and to see what he's all about. And so they're there, and they've got nothing to eat And you know the story. There's a little boy. He's got five loaves of bread, two fish. Jesus takes it, breaks it. They eat until they're full. There's all this left over. They can't eat anymore. They say, man, this is the best fish and chips dinner we've ever had. This is great. And then the evening comes. Jesus takes a nice little walk along the lake. They go over, right, to the other side of the lake into Capernaum. And that's kind of where we pick up the story in John chapter 6, verse 22. We'll go all the way through verse 69. So a bit of a long story this morning, but it reads this. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not here or there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. 
When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may, believe, that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone who has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks on my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. 
When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Can you imagine this scene with me just for a moment? That you're a part of the crowd and you've had this great meal just the previous day and you go to sleep and you wake up and maybe you don't think about it at first, but all of a sudden your stomach starts growling and you start looking around for Jesus. Thinking, hey, we're hungry again. It sure would be nice if you know, he were here to give us another meal. Those fish and chips last night were pretty good. And then someone steps up and says, hey, uh, one of the boats are missing. Maybe Jesus and his disciples, maybe, maybe they went away to the other side of the lake. You know, I think that's where he is. And so the plan is hatched. You know, we follow Jesus. We get to the other side of the lake. We meet him in Capernaum, and he'll feed us again. He'll give us another meal. Our, our bellies will be full. This will be good. See the, see, the problem is these disciples, they're following Jesus but they're just following Jesus for the meal. They're devoted in their following, but they're devoted for the wrong reasons. They they just want to eat again. See, as we're devoted in our following of Jesus, we have to be devoted to Jesus, not not just ourselves, not not just our, our reasons of why, hey, this is good to follow Jesus, but be devoted simply to Jesus. The, the vast group of the followers here, they're more devoted to themselves, really, than to Jesus. They're just looking out for their own self-interest. If we can get over there, you know, food in those days was hard to get. It wasn't, you can't just go to a, a grocery store or a fast food restaurant or anything. You don't just have cupboards full of food. Food eating was not as easy. And so to get food, that was a big deal. And they're just, if I can just eat, this would be good. And they're more committed to their stomachs than they are to Christ. And it's a wake-up call for us because we have to ask the same question. Am I really devoted? Am I really devoted? Am I really sold out? Or will I just as easily sell out? You know, when it comes to being unpopular, when I have to stand for something unpopular, when I have to do the hard thing, will I be sold out in my following Jesus, in my obedience to his word, or will I sell out and just do what's easy for me? Because we all have this self-preservation thing that sometimes kicks in. But Jesus is calling us to follow for the right reasons. Right? Are we following just for you know, divine fire insurance? 
Are we following because this will make life easier if we follow Jesus? See, the crowds, this is some of what they're thinking. This will be easier. We follow Jesus. We'll get a meal. They're following him for all the wrong reasons. And this crowd of new disciples, they've, they've got a plan. They're expecting Jesus to feed them again. And so they catch up to him. They get to the other side of the lake. They think, man, this is great. Jesus is going to do another miracle. Going to get some more food. This will be really good. And then Jesus turns the tables on them. And he tells the guys right from the beginning, he calls them out on their motives. And he says, you're following me just because you want another meal. I mean, they are busted right there. He sees right through their plan. You just want another all-you-can-eat buffet dinner. I know your plan. And see, Jesus, he wants more for them than that. See, their vision of what Jesus could do for them was so small. Think, oh, if we just get a meal. Jesus, I want to give you so much more than a meal. I want to give you life. And did you hear what he said? He said, I want to get you involved in the work and to work for food that will never spoil. So I want you involved in this work. And the crowd says, well, Jesus, how do we know that we can trust you? How do do we know that we can trust what you're saying? We need a sign. You, you need to do another miracle. And hey, you, you know, um, God, he, he fed our ancestors in the wilderness with some bread. You know, if you want to do another sign like that, that'd be pretty cool. Are you starting to see the pattern yet? <laughs> it's all coming back to food, right? This, this is what they want. This is what they want more than anything. Just feed us again, Jesus. It's a proof text for anyone who believes the proverb that the way to a man's uh, heart is through his stomach. This is right here, right? And they basically tell Jesus, okay, okay, hey, we're willing to do anything. Just tell, tell, tell us what to do. Tell, what, what work do you have for us? If you're going to feed us again, we're all in. You know, feed us, you'll be my BFF, Jesus. I'm all in. Just, just give me the meal. It's starting to almost get pathetic. And Jesus is wise, and he sees how they brought up their ancestors who ate manna in the wilderness And he's going to correct their thinking a little bit because their thinking is, it's Moses who gave it to us. And they're kind of looking for the next Moses. The the Jews believe it was Moses who gave uh, the ancestors man in the wilderness. It was common teaching for the rabbis in those days. And Jesus says, listen, it wasn't Moses. It wasn't Moses who provided the bread. It was Yahweh. And the bread he gave your ancestors, it lasted for a day. And you had to eat it right then. He gave you enough for the day. He said, now the bread that God gives, it will satisfy forever. You'll never hunger again. This bread that he gives now will satisfy forever. And then he says this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And Jesus goes on, he explains this a little more, but his explanations are frustrating. We read the story, they're frustrating the people. They start grumbling amongst themselves, just the way their ancestors did in the wilderness, remember? And they say, Jesus, come on, we know who your parents are. <laughs> you know, we've been around Mary and Joseph, we know them. How are you saying that you came down from heaven? Come on, Jesus, we, we've been around, we know where you're from. We know your neighborhood. Just give us some food. We're, we're hungry. Don't, don't feed us all these lines. They, they've got a one-track mind. As we follow Jesus, we've got to be flexible. Got to be flexible. 
These followers, they no, they no longer followed, and they're going to turn away because they had these rigid plans. And what, when what they wanted to happen didn't happen, they just throw in the towel. So, we're done. Jesus, we, we thought if we followed you, you would do this for us. You didn't do it. I'm out. Why? Because they're not really following for the right reasons. And you know what? Sometimes we can do the same thing. We can think, if I follow Jesus, he's going to make life easy. He's going to make life smooth. Everything will just work out great. It'll be a bed of roses. It'll, it'll... It doesn't say that. Jesus sent us as ambassadors, as sent ones into a broken down, hurting world. When you enter into a broken down, hurting world, what happens? The weight of the world hits. The brokenness, the messiness, the dirtiness of the world, it hits. And then you feel it. But Jesus gives another promise. He says, for your light and momentary troubles are achieving for you a glory that far outweighs them all. But what happens? Sometimes our light and momentary troubles, they feel heavy and long-lasting. Why? Because we hold on to life so tight. We hold on to what we want and what our dreams are and our families and and our jobs and everything, we hold on to it so tight. I mean, you just grab the air right now as tight as you can, and what happens? Your muscles strain even to grab hold of the air. But that's what we do with life. And then when trouble hits, when hard things come, and you're trying to hold it up, it's just heavy. I can't bear it, right? It's heavy, and it feels like i got to carry this forever. How am I going to do it? And Jesus says, no, no, your troubles are light and momentary. How does it become that way? How, how can you have just terrible, unspeakable things happen in this world? And Jesus say, they're light and momentary. Why? Because we don't grab our lives so tight. Something happens and we realize, I don't have to hold on to my life. Jesus will hold it for me. And we open our hands. We say, Jesus, I'm, I'm just going to trust you with it. And then the problems hit. And yeah, it still stings. It still hurts. It's still a wait for a moment, but it's a moment. And it becomes lighter because we give it to him. And there's trust that's built and there's faith that's built. And it becomes light and momentary. And then is even one of my friends who passed away of cancer. As I was visiting him on his deathbed and just kind of talking to him, he said, Steve, I've even got to a place I'm praising God for my cancer. Because through this, I've learned so much about him. And I'm weeping at his bedside, still trying to make sense of it all. Why? Because I'm holding it. Jesus, he had enough of their grumbling. And he says, hey, you want something to eat? Here's what you got to eat. You got to eat my flesh. You got to drink my blood. And he repeats himself several times. And you're reading this, you say, geez, you just keep on saying it. And it sounds kind of gross. You know, are you calling the crowds some kind of cannibalistic Christianity? I mean, we know that's not true. 
So what's Jesus saying here? Eat my flesh, drink my blood. You got to eat my flesh, you got to drink my blood. Sometimes we think that Jesus speaks in these flowery parables, you know, that are so difficult to understand and he's just so far out there and if we just, it takes almost a divine mind to get in there and understand it. But that's not it at all. Jesus is a master communicator. He knows we're sheep, okay? So he puts it on a level that we can get it. And for them, that's just what he's doing. If it, if it were us, you know, he, he might use a different metaphor. But for them, he's just, he's relating to them. He's a master communicator. And in fact, even for us, he's already defined what it is he means. You go back and you look at verse 35 again. Just rewind. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be, fr- be thirsty. So to eat his flesh is to come to him. To drink his blood is to believe in him. And Jesus is emphatic here. If you come to me, if you eat my flesh, you will never, ever, ever, never, 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 ever be hungry. And if you drink my blood, you will never, all caps, bold, be thirsty again, period, full stop. It's done. You're satisfied. And so the question comes, okay, so what are we supposed to come to him for? Right? What, what do we do? And it's understanding, ultimately. It's faith. This is what he's talking about. My father draws. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Isaiah 40, 28 through 31. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord our God is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. In his understanding, no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings as eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Come to him for understanding. And if you take that word, understanding, just to kind of understand the word understanding, if you just flip it around, okay, you get the words stand under. And that's really what it's all about, is that God will come and then we, we trust him that he will stand under our lives. Where we can let it go. We don't have to hold it so tight. We can let it go and he will stand under and hold it up. But see, some of us, we, we try to stand under our lives. Why? We want to make it look like we've got it all together, right? I mean, in school, you want to make it look like in front of your peers, hey, I got it all together. I got this. It doesn't get any easier when you're an adult. It's the same thing. In front of our peers, we want to make it look like we got it all together. And sometimes it's not just our lives. We see friends whose lives, and we see they're spiraling, or we got family members, we got sons, daughters, brothers, sisters, whoever, and we want to stand under their lives too and try to hold up their lives too. And what's Jesus saying? You can't do it, you're going to get weak. You're going to break down. Even the youngest among us, even the strongest among us, they grow faint. They grow weary. They can't do it. You can't squeeze so tight all the time. You're going to give out. He says, I will come under and I will stand under your life. 
come to me. I'll make your path straight. And so we come to God for understanding or faith so that we will never be hungry for more in life. So that we will be satisfied in knowing that he's holding it up. He's holding up our lives. I don't need any more. He's, he's got this. And we believe in him so that we will never be thirsty for someone else to try to come and quench any pain in our heart, any insufficiency in our lives, any brokenness in our lives, any guilt or shame due to our sin or anything like that. We're not looking for others. We, we, we believe in him that he quenches it all so that we'll never thirst for more. What is he asking us to believe in? He's asking us to believe that Jesus really is who he said he is, that he really will do what he said he will do. We must believe that Jesus really is the God-man who lived the perfect life, who died on the cross as a substitution for our sin, and who rose three days later, defeating sin and death on our behalf, and who now offers this glorious eternity for all who will believe in him. And in the meantime, he gives purpose and reason and meaning for life now as he sends us as ambassadors, as sent ones to this world to share this glorious message. This is our great hope. Not just our destination, but all of life's detours along the way. And Jesus, he's, he's teaching these followers, and it wasn't so deep that they couldn't understand. I, you know, they got it. They never complained. Jesus, what, what do you mean by all this? Their complaint is, whoa, this is hard. <laughs> I don't know if I can keep listening to this. I don't know if I can accept this teaching. I don't know if I can let go. I just want to hold, I want to hold it. I want to be in charge of my own life. I want to do it my way. I want to do the things I want to do. I want to hold on to my preferences. I want to hold on to my people. I, I want to do it my way. Jesus says, come, believe. In all of life's troubles, light, momentary. The, the crowds, they have plans for a buffet dinner. Jesus wanted to offer them so much more. He, he, he wanted to offer them a life of meaning and purpose. He wanted them to get involved in this kingdom mission, working for food that will never spoil. And their response, after he, after he offers this and invites them into this and wants to get them involved in this, John 6, 6, 6, from that time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. I mean, that's one of the most tragic verses in all of scripture. Can, can you imagine that scene with me just for a moment? That the, these people, probably 15,000 or more men, women, children, they get in the boats, they follow Jesus to the other side of the sea, they meet up with him, huge crowds surrounding Jesus. Jesus delivers this teaching, and groupthink sets in. And they say, We're done. They get back in their boats, abandon Jesus, just leave. Say, we're not walking with you anymore. And then Jesus turns to the 12. He 
says, are you going to leave me too? Are you throwing in the towel too? And then Peter delivers one of the great lines. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You are the eternal one. You alone have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Isn't it interesting? To whom shall we go? What? We've come to you. And then what does he say? We have come to believe and understand and know. We, have, we believe, we understand, we know. It's the two things that Jesus is asking for. Come to me and believe. See, I think they all got it. It's how Peter answers. <laughs> we've come to you and we believe. Be devoted, be flexible, and stay in love with your Savior as you follow him. You know, the disciples, they didn't always follow him perfectly. I mean, you go through. Thomas doubted. Philip's asking questions. Uh, James and John, they want their mom to come so they can be, like, greatest in the kingdom and sit next to Jesus. And Peter, I mean, we can go on and on about Peter. Jesus even had to call him Satan once. They didn't follow him perfectly. But what they do? They stayed in love with Jesus, and in persistence, they kept following. And that's what, that's what this life is about here where we still struggle with the effects of sin as Jesus is conforming us into his image, we, we follow him not perfectly but persistently. And when we mess up, there's hearts of repentance that say, Jesus, forgive me. Help me to walk better and closer with you today. The point of Jesus teaching the crowds was that they would just look for something more, not just a meal but to get involved in the kingdom work, to be able to work for food that would never spoil. And the invitation for us is the same today, to get involved. You know, not, not to just sit on the sidelines, but to really get involved. And so you've got that card in front of you, and it's just a small step. It's, it's not spiritual maturity. It's chair two discipleship. It's just growing Saying, okay, I'm going to serve the people of God because I'm called. I'm called to do that. I'm I'm called to build up the body. That's that's one of the things he's called us to do. And in building up the body, we learn how we can take the next step into chair three and then impact the world. And so those cards, men are going to come forward again in just a second after we pray. But I encourage you, just if there's anything that sounds interesting... And maybe you say, I don't know. I don't know if I fit any of those categories, but hey, here's a couple skills I've got. Here's some things I'm good at. And if I can put these to use in any way, use me. That's great too. Just let us know. And maybe maybe you're here saying, well, I'm already involved, Steve. You know, I've been serving for a while. Then as we pray, this is an opportunity for you to really pray and to make sure that you're not serving out of obligation or out of duty or out of, the, well, I'm just trying to fill a spot here. There's a hole in this ministry, so I just want to kind of step in. But that you're serving out of conviction, that you're devoted to Jesus for the right reasons, that, that you're following for the right reasons, that it's simply, I love him. And I, I want to grow in my understanding of him and my ability to impact others so that I can be those chair three and chair four disciples that, I, that Jesus called me to be. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that you offer us so much more than a meal. 
But God, you offered us your son. And in offering us your son, you, you didn't just give us, you didn't just send Jesus to us just so that we can watch some awesome show that he did and all these miracles he performed, but, but that we could be adopted into your family and then take on the responsibilities of a family and to serve our, the family of God. And to go beyond our family and really to love others and love the world and love, love people. God, help us to do that well. God, I thank you for the many faithful servants here at Central who give so faithfully of their time and their talent and their treasure just to, just to grow in you and being obedient to you so that you can use them. God, uh, we pray for our church uh, this assembly, that you would, you would help us grow in our obedience and grow in our effectiveness of reaching Portsmouth and the surrounding cities for the glory of God. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.